0: You play two times as much as you practice. So it's not, it's never a comparison to pro sports because pro athletes practice 90% of the time and perform maybe five to 10% of the time. In sales and business, we play the game 90% of the time and very little time to prepare.
1: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi there, listeners of the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. Hey everyone, this is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back, Selling with Love Podcast. I have an exciting guest and I have a funny story on how I first discovered his work. And I have to say, it was in the midst of my own book launch. I was striving to be the best, being Jason, the salesman. I knew how to sell books. I knew how to reach for number one in the broad category of sales and marketing, but lo and behold, there was a book. It'd been out for weeks and it was holding that number one spot so strong that I got curious. The book itself was called The Human Sales Factor, and it was Lance Tyson, the author. And I'm thinking, this man has written something amazing and has promoted it fantastically. I need to have a conversation with him. And as soon as I got dug deeper, I realized, oh my God, this is one that's about to share some wisdom with everybody here. Founder and CEO of the Tyson Group, which has been named by Selling Power, top sales training company, has been a top 20 sales trainers in the world, has been working, doing hundreds of workshops annually and has been a company himself. He had actually worked with Dale Carnegie Training Operations back in the Midwest. He had taken over for that for a while, grew at 23% growth, then sold it back, focused on more sales training. This is not even his first book. His first book was actually selling as a away game, talking about a series of books, talking about baseball, and also going deeper into the concept of the human sales factor. I looked at this book, and for any of you who finally understood that sales is a beautiful thing, a powerful thing, and you wanna really put it into practice, this is really what we're gonna be doing with Lance today, and I'm so excited to have him here. Lance, welcome.
0: Jason Mark, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this interview. It was a braid-eyed, worked out, I'm ready to go.
1: I love it, because you're starting up in the morning, I'm late in the evening, and we both have our time to roll, so I'm excited. I wanted to kick it off with something here. We're talking about the human sales factor, all right? Human, and you've been doing sales training for years, like decades here, and you work with some pretty hardcore sales organizations. And most would think like, what, human? Isn't that something you drain out of salespeople so they just follow the process? Like, is that a myth? And what have you been doing?
0: You know, it's kind of interesting. We work with some of the biggest brands in the world, especially in sports and entertainment. That's kind of our jumping off spot or base. And you would think like organizations like the Boston Red Sox, who own Liverpool and England, do they really need people to sell? And the answer is yes. I mean, you got to sell that emotion or you got to sell that sponsorship. So the human is a tie into that. And I say to this, the sales teams all the time, if you look at the capital investment any organization makes, right? It's where they do business, it's in their product, but most of the investments in people. And I say to the salespeople all the time, look, if a business could have figured out how to do it without salespeople, they already figured it out, right? Like they would already done that. So the fact is, We do need salespeople because it adds to the persuasion of influence of any product or service. You know, you and I were talking about Matthew McConaughey when we started off. Why does Lincoln need Matthew McConaughey, Lincoln, the luxury car brand, to sell cars? Because it adds believability to it. And like any product or service, you look at a Yelp review, right, on a restaurant. It's the person that's involved in it. So it is human to human. It's always been human to human.
1: And I love how you expand it. Like most people put the sales category into a very small segment of the organization. It's those guys or those girls over there. The rest of us are not in sales. We don't need to do that. But you're flipping it on its head. You're talking about embracing our inner salesperson. So let's talk more about that.
0: Yeah, you know, we deal with a lot of leadership. You know, our mission statement is work through leaders and their sales teams to compete in a complex world. If I'm in leadership, I have to sell my ideas. Yesterday I was home with my team looking at a new marketing campaign, I can tell everybody what to do. I own the company and they'll comply, but compliance is much different than buy-in. So I need to sell my ideas as a leader. I can tell my kids that do it because I said so. That only works so long. I mean, I think we all know if you're a dictator, sooner or later, it ends bad for you, right? So telling's not selling. And I hate to be the guy of cliches, but it's so true. And that human factor, think about the guy who fired people. I'm trying to think of a company right now. Maybe it was like Better. 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 Yeah, Better.com. You know, think about what he did to devalue the company because he sold in a bad way, right? I'm sure his intent was not to be a bad guy or a bad leader, but didn't come off well. Or think about Zelensky in Ukraine right now. And I don't want to get into politics, but this guy has sold the idea, right? that glory to Ukraine, like all of a sudden I'm a fan of Ukraine. I didn't even know where it was on a map before this. Right. So because of one person, but that can go either way. Right. So sales is not a dirty word. Sales is needed. It doesn't really matter what position you're in. Right. It's like you were saying earlier, it's not the best writing author all the time. Like you and I, it's the best selling author. That's a hell of a lot different. That's a different thing.
1: Yeah. And it's so true. And I think people undervalue its importance and you're showcasing it in various plays, whether it's hiring, firing employees, finding a job, right? Like everything that we do in our lives, all of it involves a sales process and we're all dealing with other humans. But let's go into this aspect where we're talking about the good, the bad, like, is there a measuring stick? Like if we're all salespeople, can you be doing it badly? What defines that?
0: Well, you know, I was listening to one of your other podcasts and there is a person on that had coached a lot of folks. He'd coached press. I can't think of his name right now. And I apologize. I was listening to him this morning and prepping for this. And I think it, it has to do with intent, right? Most of us don't like salespeople or the concept of sales is because of the word manipulation. Okay. Now I would challenge anybody to listen to this, go look up the word manipulation, right? Manipulation And one of the definitions, it literally says in the dictionary, to act in a skillful manner. So if I were a laborer, my dad owned an excavation company, he used to say, Lance, manipulate the shovel or the shovel will manipulate you, right? It has to do with intent. There are plenty of examples in history and plenty of examples in business where people have dark intent. And it could come off manipulative, or they're acting in a skillful way. So I think that's kind of part of this, right? And it has to be. I was challenging a pro sports team recently in the Major League Soccer arena, and their managers have a ton of contests. And a lot of companies have contests. Contests for all kinds of things around a campaign. I go, aren't you manipulating? They go, no, we're motivating. I said, well, what about the people who don't think contests are very motivating, who think it's manipulative? They said, what do you mean? I said, well, when I was a salesperson, I could care less about a contest. Just pay me more, give me time off, and trust my opinion. Does that mean I operate at a higher level than somebody else? Hell no. Some people need to compete. They need to know where their name is. I said, so what idea are you selling, right? If you're applying motivation to a one-size-fits-all, that's probably not a great approach. Motivations from within, you to understand it. So I think it really, it's a deep, it's a 360 question. But it has to do with intent and what you're trying to accomplish, whatever you're trying to sell, idea, concept, motivation, performance.
1: I love it. I was going to talk more about what you just mentioned here about how we get motivated, right, to be better at sales. And I know you speak a lot about how it has to start from the inside out and not the outside in. Could you tell us more about what that entails and what can we do to actually start working on the inside?
0: Yeah, you know, that is, and I tried to portray this in my book, I don't know how good of a job I did, but. There's a couple of books that foundationally, concept-wise, I still live by and I constantly go through. One would be the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. There's no doubt that that book, I would tell anybody listening, if you want to read one book first, read that, right? I get no proceeds on that or anything else, but it's 30 ways to deal with people more effectively. Then in the mid-90s, Stephen Covey produced a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And what he does in the beginning of that book is he actually talks about up until probably the early 1900s, it was all character-based around self-improvement, where you would read Ben Franklin's autobiography and the virtues he went through. So it was all inner to out. And then right around the 1920s, you started to get the Think and Grow Rich and Norman Vincent Peale and Dale Carnegie, and then it was Outer In. It was how you portray yourself as opposed to your character. And I think what I tried to do in this book is I started to say, all right, why don't you look in the mirror first? Because that's the basis of emotional quotient your emotional intelligence is how you can calm the beast. You know, I have a good customer, Scott McGowan. He owns a very successful employee benefits organization. He's all about culture. And he goes, Lance, sometimes my mind's like a bad neighborhood. It's not good to be alone in it. I couldn't agree more, right? So you got to calm the inside out to get the right message out, right? So I think that's the first thing, whether that's understanding your values Like I'm constantly writing to myself, begin with the end of mind, first things first, right? Calm down, try to understand the other person before you're understood. I think conceptually that makes sense, that calms the message down. I need to know who I am as a person, right? I fail at it miserably a lot.
1: Well, I mean, coming from an organization like Mind Valley, all about personal growth, this is something I've went through myself and I had times, I remember in my late 20s, just looking in the mirror and just not being proud at all at the guy on the other side, you know? I had to kind of do that inner work. For me, I deep dive into spirituality, personal growth. And interestingly enough, there's one framework we use called Lifebook. And in it, you divide your life into 12 categories, one of them being character and why it's so important to have a strong character. How would you define character so we can understand more of your perspective? You know, I hired
0: this and I'll
1: make this quick.
0: When I first became a sales leader, I was really young. I got promoted because my performance was good. You know, didn't necessarily mean I was going to be a good leader. I was working for Dale Carnegie Training at the time, and I had hired this gentleman named Mark Krakow. And Mark, his background is Mark was an evangelical preacher. And whatever happened to him, he went his wayward ways and kind of got ousted from what he was doing and decided he was going to take and, you know, work for a company like Dell Carnegie, where he could public speak and sell his ideas, trying to reset his life, bad divorce and everything else. He actually pushed me more to my spiritual side. He kind of challenged me on why I believe what I believe. And one thing that I will always remember Mark said is, he said, Lance, the true mark of your character is what you actually do when other people aren't looking. And I have used that as a measuring stick my whole life. And I'm with you. There are times that I'm not proud of myself. I was in a conversation with an employee the other day that I kind of almost came through the Zoom call at him. And I wrote it in my journal. It was not one of my best moments. And I can chalk that up to all kinds of things. I was tired. They were being difficult. But at the end of the day, I should have just shut up, right? (laughs) Did I have to be right? Did I have to plan it, right? I think that's that constant battle you know, that's EQ though, or simply put like, I wrote a real short book in the pandemic on EQ and here's what I learned about EQ and it's attitude control. That's really what it is. Can you control your attitudes under times of stress and pressure that affects everything else? But I think it's an ongoing battle for me. I can just speak for myself on that.
1: Yeah. Well, amen. I'm with you on that. I think we're always trying to See, it's that little angel, that little devil, right? And we're trying to seek our, our higher self. And I know for you, when it comes to emotional intelligence, is it intelligence, EQ, whatever it is, you speak a lot about it in your book, actually. You even have this little uh, tripod seated framework, which talks about you know how human-to-human connections actually needs to sit on three pillars. Could you tell us more about that and how we could use it?
0: Yeah, you know, I think bottom line is The first thing is like self-control, right? It's literally the interpersonal skills and communication. And it's like the three legs of a stool. But it goes through that self-control first, right? If I can't have the conversation with myself, it's going to hurt the message. Then I have to connect with other people, which in turn, it's why... Think about this way in terms of sales. I heard recently we were talking to an organization and one of the leaders like, I'm really big on scripts, I go, help me understand why, why is scripts so important? And then I kind of challenged him and I said, have you ever acted or do you respect an actor? He goes, yeah, I love Denzel Washington. I said, so do I. Couldn't be better, right? I said, what happens if you teach scripts and what you're teaching your salespeople, the other person doesn't follow the script and they go off script? What does that do to your interpersonal skills and what does that do the message? He goes, are you saying scripts aren't great? I said, it's not how I would train people. I would train them on the strategy and the tactics and teach maybe a flow, like a Waze app or Google Maps. He said, why are you so hell-bent on this? I said, because they'll get frustrated and it will be hard to control the message and control themselves if somebody goes off script. Script has to be perfect, right? So those three things in combination, right, affect our EQ. I'm not saying drive it. I'm not saying it's a perfect formula, right? We all sit on stools, like one leg's a little shorter, you're at a bar table, and it's not even, and it screws the meal up. That's kind of what I'm talking about. If one of those things are off, but if I had to pick one to start with, I did that in the book, I said, look at the Greek mirror, right? Ethos, pathos, logos, very Aristotle. And I tried to simplify it a little bit because I didn't understand it that well, but the ethos is, you know, the character, Right. The logos is the reason or logic, and the pathos is the emotion. And I wanted to drive that point home, much like you just said, with those 12 different areas, or you can interpret those into your different roles, but that's that inner self or meditation. Like I learned the last three years of meditation, I don't have monkey mind. I have double-fisted beer drunk monkey mind, right? Two beers, and I think I've accomplished something that I'm able to go, okay, you're off in another direction here. Can you get back to the breathing? right? So I'm with you a thousand percent.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's good. And I love that you also made reference to journaling, meditation, all the practices that it's so weird. We know we do it. We feel good. We skip it sometimes anyways. And like, we just do our best, you know? And with that, I think when you get to bring that within your, I mean, sales just ends up being such a raw industry, right? Like whatever it is you have as habits, they come and they bite you harder, but the, when you do the habits good, you get the wins bigger, right? And it's interesting to see that people in the top of sales always have these self-care practices. They have these personal growth methodologies. They train their mind. They do all these things because the upside is so much more immediate than any other industry. Because when you let that mind go loose, your numbers get affected right away. So that's a great benefit of sales as you get feedbacks on how well you're doing in your personal life too.
0: Well, in, in sales, and you know this better than anybody, you play two times as much as you practice. It's never a comparison to pro sports because pro athletes practice 90% of the time and perform maybe 5 to 10% of the time. In sales and business, we play the game 90% of the time and very little time to prepare. It's interesting. We were working with a national football team on the East Coast, and I don't want to mention them, they were hiring a very high-level sales rep. And we do like a predictive index to assessments where we look at competencies. It's not the company predictive index. And one of the things we measure in every role is the willingness to commit time and effort to success. And it came down to two very diverse candidates. One had a little bit more experience, the other had less. And I said, I would look at this number right here. This person... This one candidate doesn't prep as much. This one does. This is the one you need for this role because it was a new product and a new line they were taking on around selling media and radio and TV advertising, which you need a lot of prep time for that to be ready to go. Yeah,
1: this is really good. I wanted to talk about one more thing I know you bring up in your book which is when you're in sales, right? And we're talking about character. It's almost like you have a certain, someone that works on their character, they kind of walk into a room and you kind of feel a sort of presence, right? There's like a, there's an aura that falls and you've noticed people that have it, some people that don't, right? And I'm just wondering, is this something we can cultivate and project outwards or does it all focus on the inner game to be able to have that? I pick up the phone and people on the other end are like, oh, I think this person has something important to me.
0: Well, I think it has to do with two things. It's a presence, but it's an engagement level. There's a Wall Street Journal article that they did a big study on executives that have experienced some kind of presentation by a vendor or salesperson. And 44% said most presentations they watch are sleepy. 40% said they're boring. That's all engagement. I'm really big with any salespeople we train. I don't overplay the pleasantries. I would challenge anybody you've ever had in this podcast I don't love the word relationship in sales. I love the word rapport because rapport is actually something to do relationships an outcome, but I love the word credibility and I love the word understanding. And I think there are three things that, that you have to think about. And when you start looking at, well, let me just ask you a bunch of questions about who you are, where you're from, blah, 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 blah. Some people look at that as you're completely wasting your time right? And you're confusing people's great people skills with actually being interested in you. They're two different things. This is it being reciprocated. I'll go down to what I've taught my sons. My wife is real big on how well they did academically. I said, don't worry about it because nobody will ever ask them their grades ever. Nobody's going to ever ask them what they got in school, in college or high school. Nobody cares at the end of the day. One thing I want my sons to be able to do when they meet an adult and bring it through the rest of their life, if they met you, I would fully expect that they would shake your hand, look you in the eye ask you your name and introduce themselves and that baseline. And I said, I will measure them on that. And I take that to the level on sales is, are you good at attention getters? Is one of my salespeople like, Hey, Jason Mark, how much time do you have today? Like now all of a sudden the conversation is focused on you. It's that turning that, how do you get genuinely interested in other people? I think, well, the ways to do that is get genuinely interested on their name and understand that you're taking one of the most precious things they have is time. How do you tailor a message any better than that? right? If you take care of little things, big things end up taking care of themselves. right? So I would say that's how you focus. That's how we coach it, very simply.
1: I love it. We got what the sweetest sounding word in any language is the sound of our own name. So that's always a beautiful one. And then actually focusing on their time and their initiative whenever you make the introduction already communicates such an authority, such a presence that already you're there in their service. And it just makes it so that you're not coming across as needy, which is something I've had a few conversations about and I'd love to hear more from you. How do we start if we're maybe in a situation where we're really not as abundant as we'd like to be right now? Maybe we're trying to pay bills or trying to get this business going, maybe times are tough. And there seems to be the sabotaging effect whenever you're in a state of neediness and you get into sales it brushes off because you're focused very much on your own outcome. Is there a way to overcome this neediness? And is it something we're supposed to suppress when we get into sales mode?
0: You know, it's such a great question because we deal with so many entrepreneurs and even so many decision makers that, you know, are getting hard pressed. And when you look at Maslow and I think Maslow is the most simple way you can look at psychology, right? When you're in a survival or security mode, you get a heightened awareness of things. And, Sometimes that just very much comes off focused on you. And if you seem needy, right, if you're acting out of scarcity versus abundance, like you just said, it's a hard thing to do. And part of selling is your ability to become other person focused. That's why I would say, though, not everybody's great at sales either. And I say this all the time to leaders. I mean, if you're trying to make a duck and eagle, you're just going to piss the duck off, right? Right. And people ask me, well, explain that a little bit. I said, well, listen, like if I run like a five-minute mile and I train all year long, the chance of me getting better than a five-minute mile is probably not going to happen, right? Or if I can run a 5-3 mile or whatever it is, right, I'm just not going to get better. You got some things that are just hard for people to do. Some people can't get out of their own way. I have a leader on my team that every sentence, talented as she is, it's always I first, it's never we. I'm constantly coaching her on plural possessive language because it comes off needy. It comes off them focused. And you can coach on changing people's language. That's where sometimes pre-memorized language works. Like we coach, for instance, that we call it a why talk statement or a why speak statement. So when I open a call, it should speak to the buyer. Why we're speaking. And the first thing we teach there is to take the word I out and say, Our meeting today is going to do X, which immediately becomes outcome based. And I guess what we teach from a persuasion standpoint it's them, us, we, right? Talk about them. Then we talk about us as an organization or an individual. And then that's how we get to we and we become French, we, we, right? So I'm kidding. So bad joke. Anyway, but I think that's hard to do, right? It's definitely difficult to say it's easy because we naturally put our own priorities in front, especially if we're at a spot, if we're not at the top of Maslow at self-actualization and we're at a survival mode or security mode, we naturally change our language to that. It becomes I, and then we do come off needy a little bit. So I think it's something you have to work on. I don't think there's a magic formula to that at all. If there was, I would have bottled it and probably sold it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times I have conversations with people and it's like, Hey, maybe this whole thing, you need to actually keep working somewhere, build more cash reserves, get yourself out of a tight situation so you have better security so that when you go out there, you can have confidence, you can have a runway. I think you need that baseline, psychological safety to be able to go out there and come with a mindset of abundance. Lance, this has been fantastic. And I got to ask one of the questions I love asking on my show. You've probably heard it before. You're on the Selling with Love podcast. So I have to ask, what does selling with love mean to you?
0: I've been thinking about this question I think selling with love to me comes from the word enthusiasm. And in Greek, I I think "enthus" means gift of the gods. In Latin, it's God from within or have that in reverse. But selling with love to me in any product or service, whether you're working for somebody or working for your own company, comes with the last four letters of enthusiasm, which are I-A-S-M. I am sold myself. I think that's what's selling with love. I'm sold myself about what I'm doing, my career, my brand, my product, my service, my job.
1: Lance, that is fantastic. I love that because, yeah, the way I define it in my book is this. Selling is nothing more than an energy exchange between conscious being. And when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's how I define selling with love. So I think you just said it in a way that I think is absolutely beautiful. And I loved our conversation today. Lance, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing. For everybody listening, I want to make sure that you all pay attention to The Human Sales Factor. It's been hit Wall Street, number one best selling book. That is just a testament how beautifully it's sold. And the reason is because reviews are in. It's fantastic. It really goes into persuasion, understanding your emotions, and so many things that you can apply into your own sales process so you can master it, improve it, and really go out there and start shifting, making the impact you want to make because you'll need sales to do it. Whether you're a salesperson directly or a leader or looking for a job or looking to start a business, all of those positions require sales. Any human breathing, walking, all of it requires sales. And so when you get to go through this human sales factor, you'll realize that learning sales, first of all, is not something that is going to go away. We always need to communicate human to human. So you might as well not reject it, embrace it and do it well. And you can do so when you learn more from someone like Lance. So look into the show notes. You'll have a link to that book. And with that, I will wish you all the best and continue to sell with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.